Uh, if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 6. It's page 1035. And we're going to listen to the closing comments, the, the, the final couple of thoughts from the signature sermon of Jesus, uh, his so-called Sermon on the Mount or, or Sermon on the Plain. The, the purpose of this series, more than a common, and this is our fourth week in this series, but the purpose of this series is to uh, re-emphasize the importance of the life and teaching of Jesus. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples in our 21st century context, we need to constantly and consistently align and realign our lives to his. Uh, Almost five years ago, whenever I was still at Balna Hinch Baptist, I, I came to Windsor one Wednesday evening. Some of you were there. But I came one Wednesday evening and, and I spoke about the whole issue of discipleship. And we looked at this definition of a Christian disciple. It's a pupil. It's a learner. It's an apprentice who follows Jesus in order to learn how one should live and conduct their life. And this is, is my understanding of what, what many of us have chosen to do. What many of us have chosen to be. Disciples of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible teaches that we have been commissioned to go and make disciples. We're encouraged to live this life to walk as Jesus walked in every arena of our lives, our home life, our work life, our social lives. And as we do that, to invite and encourage and uh, call others to join us in this adventure of following Jesus. And if we're going to embrace this and truly follow Jesus and be his disciples, then... I believe, and this is what I've been trying to emphasize, we need to constantly revisit and re-engage with the life and teaching of Jesus, which amounts to so much more than a comma. And the reason for that title, more than a comma, was just this idea that if you look at the Apostles' Creed, it talks about Jesus saying that he was born of a virgin Mary, comma, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and rose again. And the whole life of Jesus, 33 years in the Apostles' Creed, is kind of condensed to a comma. And what we want to say is, actually, no, the life of Jesus is more than a comma. Because if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to walk as he walked, if we're going to learn to live as he lived, then we need to engage with those 33 years, and particularly those last three years of his Back in, uh, back in April 2008, I showed this uh, slightly disturbing and provocative quote from one writer. I can now see that Christianity is a religion that has been irreversibly distorted by the neglect of the actual life and teaching of Jesus. By the neglect of the actual life and teaching of Jesus. And I, and I know many of you are with me in this, but I don't want Windsor Baptist Church to be a church that neglects the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. 
I want us to be a church that actually reflects it. We want to rediscover what that little phrase someone has described as the missing middle, the bit between manger and cross, between Christmas and Easter. We want to hear again and again what Jesus said and then how we live in, in light of it. But part of, the, part of the challenge with this is in recognizing that a lot of what Jesus did say and a lot of what Jesus did teach was extremely radical. As we realized and, and, and recognized two weeks ago whenever we looked at his command as part of this sermon to love our enemies. It's really hard. That it is a high calling. That it requires courage and intention and determination. And yes, we are filled by God's Holy Spirit who helps us in this, as Bennett has said, and so we're not alone. But it still is tough to love our enemies, which is just one example. That teaching was countercultural in Jesus' day as it is in ours. It was demanding, it was revolutionary, it was uncompromising. And what we've said is we've, we've spent a couple of weeks in, in Luke chapter 6 is, is that there's nowhere where Jesus' teaching is more revolutionary than in his sermon in the mount. Because here in relatively explicit detail, Jesus describes for, for us what it actually looks like to walk as he walked and to conduct our lives based on his and so what sometimes happens whenever you engage with the life and teaching of Jesus and whenever you do discover that it is quite a, quite a high calling, it is quite radical, it is quite extreme, it is quite revolutionary, is that sometimes there's a tendency to temper what Jesus taught. To kind of water it down, if not in some levels and in some ways avoid it altogether. Another great quote. Christians, according to John Alexander spend a lot of time and energy explaining why Jesus couldn't have meant what he said. And this is understandable. Jesus was an extremist and we are all moderates. What's worse, he was an extremist in his whole life, not just the narrowly spiritual areas, but in everything. So we have to find ways to dilute his teachings. Again, somebody just trying to be provocative, trying to get us to think. But I don't want us to be, to be a church that kind of dilutes the teaching of Jesus. That when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, for example, that we actually say, okay, Jesus, help us, teach us what that looks like. Now, the reason I've, I've kind of introduced uh, this evening in such a detailed way is because there, there is a sense that as Jesus concludes his signature sermon at the end of Luke 6... He does actually talk about the importance of how we respond to what he has just said in his Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain. Plus, he actually provides some perspective, I think, on how we know and how we discover who are his true followers. So that using Bennett's tin thing, so that we can discover, well, what it says on the outside is actually who we are on the inside. That they match. They don't contradict. And so that's what we're going to look at this evening. Because in verses 43 to 49, 
Jesus actually gives us a couple of clear indicators that reveal the authenticity of true disciples. Two main ones. Now, I know that, that a lot of what I'm going to look at this evening is not new to anyone or may not be new to very many. Probably all heard it before, but I still think it's, it, it's incredibly personal and relevant and enables us to kind of reflect on where each of us stand in relation to the teaching of Jesus. So, if you have a Bible or a copy of the Pew Bible, could I invite you to stand with me and we will just read uh, these seven verses together, Luke six forty-three to 49. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey my teaching is like a person who builds without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Grab a seat. As ever, in a very short space of time, in, in, in a few words, Jesus says an awful lot. And so in incredibly simple terms, and I'm not trying to reduce this in any way, but two of the key issues that Jesus uh, addresses here relates to these two things. Relates to what we say and what we do. Our words and our actions. The way we talk the way we walk. And I'll explain more in a moment. And so Jesus begins this section of his teaching by talking about trees and fruit. Good trees, bad trees. Good fruit, bad fruit. And throughout scripture, the importance of the kind of fruit that we produce in our lives is is often highlighted, stressed, and discussed on a number of occasions. In fact, the fruit that we bear reveals the kind of tree or the kind of person we actually are. As Jesus says it here, a tree is identified by its fruit or a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, fruit clarifies. Fruit tells us something. Fruit speaks volumes to those who see it. Now, whenever Jesus and the Bible talk about fruit, we immediately think of character, and so we should. The Bible talks about fruit. We immediately think of the characteristics that are on display in the lives of the people around us in our own lives. 
And whenever we think of the specific nature of, well, what is the specific nature of good fruit? What is the specific nature of positive characteristics of sort of Christ-like traits? Well, then I hope we are reminded and we're drawn to the Spirit of Christ or to the fruit of the Spirit of Christ that Paul lists in Galatians 9 or Galatians 5. Here are the nine segments of the fruit of the Spirit, the nine characteristics of true Christians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Now character, just like fruit, doesn't grow overnight. But in true disciples, in the real deal, these should be increasingly evident for all to see. And character comes from and is formed within our hearts, from the very core of our being. And God, by his spirit, indwells true disciples. And the Bible teaches he then transforms us from the inside out as he produces the fruit, the characteristics of Christ in our lives. And so if the heart is good, if your heart and my heart are good, And if they are undergoing the process of transformation, then we, as good people, will produce good things. Look at verse 45. A good person, says Jesus, produces good things where? From the treasury of a good heart. And so as we tease this out a little further, the question is, well, how do you know? How do you check the condition of my heart? How do you check the condition of the human heart? How do you discover if those, for example, nine character traits are evident in a person's life? They're taking shape. They're growing. How? Well, and for me, here's the massively challenging aspect of the teaching of Jesus in Luke 6. Here's where this gets a little uncomfortable for me. Because it seems, according to Jesus, that how you talk reveals the state of your heart. How you talk reveals the state of your heart. What you say, quote verse 45, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Or to put it in more familiar terms from another translation, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to discern, if you want to discover the condition of your heart and the hearts of those around you, then listen to what they say. Listen to how they speak. Are their words loving? Joyful? Are they patient? Are they kind words they speak generally? Are they gentle? Are they peaceful words? Or as you listen to your own voice and those around you, do you hear harsh words, unkind words, bigoted words, hurtful words, coarse words? Well, either way, according to Jesus, our words communicate something about the state of in here. Now, let me set this teaching right in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And let me go back to what we said two weeks ago whenever Jesus did speak about loving our enemies because here's what he said we should do 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And in all of that, what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it relates to how you speak. Relates to how you speak. The words you use. And so when it comes to our enemies, the way we talk about them and to them would seem to tell us a lot about the condition of our hearts. True disciples of Jesus Christ, and this I believe is the thrust of the teaching here, true disciples of Jesus Christ must speak well of their enemies. They must 